Ned. I don't know when, I don't know who we'll be fighting, but it's coming. Hey everybody and welcome to our podcast. I'm Duncan. And I'm Kristen. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 44. So, as you all know now, our special guest host this week is our friend Kristen Howe. She's been frequently featured in our podcastica feedback sections and is a consistent presence on our Facebook page as well. Always posting really cool thoughts and insights, so I'm super excited to have her on the show today. Can't wait to hear her thoughts on the King's Road. I know it's going to be a fun one. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> happy to have you here. It's going to be awesome. Thanks. How'd you like the episode? Um, you know what? I It's so funny revisiting this episode. I realized what a great episode it is. Um, yeah. There's so much to unpack in this episode, especially if you've seen it the whole way through. Yes. So. Look, looking forward to it. Just so everybody knows, this episode will be full of spoilers all the way up to season seven, episode seven, as this is a rewatch podcast. So if you haven't seen anything past episode two yet now is your chance to throw your ipod out the window um and <laughs> don't listen to this right in the water <laughs> yeah right in, right in the storm water yeah exactly throw oh. it out duncan's window yep <laughs> all <laughs> right so let's jump right into our top five highlights of game of thrones season one episode two the king's road all what do right. you got what do you got Kristen? what do i have i have quite a few things um awesome so I'm going to start off with um, just kind of a simple one, and that's just Catelyn Stark just as a character. Um, you know, I, I felt like this this episode really shows the range of kind of the complexity that is Catelyn. Yeah. Um, she's like this fierce mom. She loves her kids. She loves her family. She, she loves being a Stark, but she so vehemently hates Jon Snow. Um, and it just, when, when she's sitting there tending to Bran and she's, um, she's just looking at Jon Snow with this intense hatred while she has tears rolling down her face and, and she just, it's like all she can do not to reach over the bed and strangle him to death. Like that's kind of how I felt. And it makes you wonder, you know, how Jon Snow was able to last all those years with that much hatred being thrown at him for so long. Um, I know it but, really gives you an insight into his um, his, you know, his uh, psychological issues dealing with his bastardhood and how it's, right. it upsets him so much. Right. Yeah. And and his strength. I mean, you know, you have yeah. to be able to withstand that. And what are the um, uh, the Tully words Their duty, honor, family, correct? In that order. Yes. Yes. Um, so it must be a huge stain on. Catelyn Tully's perceived honor to have had her husband do this to her in her mind, um, since we know now that he has not actually cheated on her. Um, I know. 
Yeah, so it's just really sad all around. If she knew the truth, it would be fine. Yeah, right. Well, but then you think, I mean, if she had known the truth all along and she had treated him differently, you know, that would have raised some eyebrows, probably. Exactly. Ned Ned was smart. He did what he had to do um, at at great cost, (laughs) you know? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, that's okay. Um, You know, but I mean, when you go from this like broken woman who hates this guy or this kid, this child, um, you know, she's watching her son in a a coma, you know, she's having to say goodbye to her husband and her daughters and, you know, they're leaving and she doesn't want them to go. And then, you know, she goes full mama bear, you know, I mean, she grabs, she grabs that knife. I just, you can't help but just be like, oh my gosh, your hands are ruined. They're ruined. Um, you know, with the blood going down and, and she's trying to save Bran and, and at the oh, cost God. of her life, you know. And, and as a guitarist for me, like watching that with the hands, it's just like horrible. I can't even, oh, yeah, go ahead. The, the adrenaline, right? I mean, it's just It's an amazing moment. <laughs> So, um, you know, and then she she goes and she goes on this like crazy detective, you know, detective show at Winterfell. And she gets all of her little band of people together at the Godswood. And I mean, there's so much range in Catelyn Stark for this one episode. It just it blew me away. Yeah. From being completely shell shocked to being completely focused and on a mission and just hatred and love and everything, all full spectrum. Right. Pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. And, well, and we also learn from uh, Catelyn that um, that it's been more than a month since the last ep- the ending of the last episode. Right. So yeah. She basically she hasn't left Bran's side in over a month. Yeah, that's dedication. It's a, but it's also <laughs> it's kind of messed up too because Rickon is out there, six years old. Following Rob around, crying, clutching at his at his legs, like, "Where's my mom? Where's my dad? What's going on?" And see, and see, during all that time, she could have just taught him how to serpentine. <laughs> I know, right? Zig, <laughs> zag, duck, roll, jump. <laughs> oh, the sadness, the sadness. And it was her last chance to teach him too. Yeah, yeah. Mothers teach your children to serpentine young. (laughs) That would have been a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Before I go, run back and forth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else uh, about Catelyn? No, I mean, the only the only other thing is probably just that, um, you know, when when you see Catelyn at at this stage, there's a lot of. uh, comparisons of the Stark children to Ned uh, over the years. And yes. I don't think that there's enough due to Catelyn and what she gave Sansa. And when you see Sansa now and her focus and her dedication to her family and how she carries herself and how um, devoted she is to her name and to her house, um, you know, a lot of that I think goes to, to Catelyn and what her character was, you know, so Great, I thought that was worth mentioning. Great connection. And maybe even some of Arya's ferocity to protect her family as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. All right. My number five is uh, foreshadowing. Just the, the 
preponderance, is that the right word? Or just so much um, <laughs> foreshadowing in this episode. We've got yeah. the mention of beheading by Viserys, and then immediately he changes to uh, talking about Ned Stark, um, which foreshadows Ned Stark being beheaded. I think he's talking with Jorah at the at something in uh, something that's going on. I can't remember now over in the, the Dothraki Sea. Tyrion sets up his own imprisonment in this episode by slapping Joffrey. And the hound <laughs> says, <laughs> the hound says, the prince will remember that, my lord. And we know he does, because when he's dying, he points at Tyrion. And that's Tyrion's downfall, sadly. Yeah. We have Cersei, uh, Cersei talking about how she lost her, her first boy um, to a fever. And Robert was crazed. And she mentioned that the boy looked just like him which hints that Joffrey does not look like him and kind of hints at, at Ned's discovery of the Joffrey's bastardhood. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. I never really noticed that little uh, line before and the significance of that. And um, oh, yeah, and just to, to mention, um, to expand on that little scene a little bit, she mentioned Cersei, how she never visited the crypt, never saw him, and it obviously really affected her. Um, but uh, then she goes to see Catelyn, and she's says, "I pray to the mother every day and night to bring him back to you about Bran." And we had we know she wants Bran dead, and I'm just thinking, "Wow, total sociopath!" <laughs> like, I know she's geez. such a bitch. <laughs> Reminds me of an ex or two of mine. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, we all have them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Then we have the the scene with John and Jamie interacting and jamie intimidating yeah. john which is a really really fun scene to watch pulling him close and showing he's stronger than him and than him and saying oh we i'm glad to know we have such strong men guarding us in the north you know at the wall but um this doesn't really foreshadow anything specific but i'm predicting that it's foreshadowing some type of interaction between these two again which will probably be important and it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if Jamie, considering his mental state at this stage of the game, if he um, confesses to pushing Bran, which may play in his favor, considering Bran later in in season eight. Yeah, yeah, when he finally gets it, back up north and teams up with uh, Team Life. <laughs> that's going to be a really, really interesting approach. Right. I, I I'm really looking forward to Jamie showing up in Winterfell for a host of reasons right yeah how do you think that interaction with bran is going to go down well yeah i i am of the camp that bran is not bran anymore right really i agree i i just feel like he's going to be like yes jamie you are the one that pushed me chaos is a ladder you know i mean (laughs) (laughs) you will be important in the wars to come here, have a dagger. <laughs> I think you'll need yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who knows? I really think that Brand is not going to have any like personal begrudging feelings towards uh, towards Jamie. I think that, like you said, he's the Three Eyed Raven. If anything, Jamie helped create him, um, and I think that he'll see Jamie in the grand scheme of things and see all of his actions. And he'll know of the sacrifices he made, the sacrifice to his honor, just like Ned did. by saving king's landing and killing the king um you know sacrificing his own honor to protect millions of people what did they say (laughs) 10 million people lived in king's landing something ridiculous like that yeah well it was one million one million that's huge that's a lot of people for that small of a space 
huge. And for a time period like that, like, man, more people than all the North combined. So I think that that Bran will recognize Jamie's honor as the viewer of the show does at this point, um, seeing everything in perspective, because now Bran has that gift as well. And I think it'll uh, play out to Jamie's favor overall. But there may be some tense tense moments between he and between him and John when Jamie does in fact confess um, and if he doesn't confess when it's revealed that he pushed Bran because Bran definitely knows at this point yeah there's absolutely yes <laughs> um, so so you think that Bran is just what gonna thank him <laughs> maybe not uh, necessarily thank him but I think he'll see that you know without every little piece of the puzzle none of it would happen so he won't necessarily hate him as much he'll just see him as a necessary part of reality i just don't think that he gets mad anymore oh man that'd be crazy to see him mad that's for sure <laughs> so then we also have the line from john to aria when he says all the best swords have names you know <laughs> talking about talking about needle and uh that kind of foreshadows aria's conversation with the hound where he says <laughs> You know, what does he say about... Of course you named your sword. <laughs> Lots of people name their swords. Lots of cunts. <laughs> right? Everybody is talking about naming swords with Arya. That's true, right? <laughs> yeah, so I thought that was cool. Kind of noticed that little uh, that parallel there. Um, then we had Catelyn in her rage right after talking with... Right after John comes to visit Bran, I want you to leave you know he leaves oh. and um yeah it's brutal um then ned comes in and one of the first things she says is 17 years ago you rode off with robert brathian and you came back a year later with another woman's son and i'm just thinking damn like she is not gonna let this go like, <laughs> and if only you knew bitch if only you knew. yeah if only you knew and in his mind he's just gotta be like oh. but but this also is foreshadowing that I think that it's that he's not even John's kid you know another woman's son an entirely different woman you know un, un, I mean related but unrelated in terms of marital relations to right, Ned right exactly right? totally different man so, too bud yeah exactly but whatever so I thought that was cool there's all these lines that well that's yeah that's interesting that you brought up um that's interesting that you brought up foreshadowing because of Jamie and um, Tyrion talking. Is that in your notes? No. About, um, I'm trying to find, here we are. I'm trying to find the note. It, um, Jamie says, give me a good clean death anyways, because he doesn't want to ever be a grotesque cripple. And what is it, like four or five episodes later? He doesn't have a hand anymore, or is that next season? Oh, dude, good job. Great, great pickup there, yeah. Couple seasons later, um, middle of season three, I think, when he takes his journey with Brienne. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. He does not get his good clean death. And he's saying it to his, you know, as far as Westeros is concerned, to his, you know, grotesque crippled brother. His grotesque brother. Yeah. And and sadly, he ends up a broken thing himself. Exactly. But that that sort of puts his ego in check and makes him a better person. So it uh, it's probably better for the realm overall. Right. Well, also, um, um, when in that uh, Jamie and John conversation as well, when he goes to shake his hand, he shakes his hand with a hand that he doesn't have anymore, and they close in on that hand. Oh right, yeah. Zoom right up on it. Yeah. 
And uh, have you seen the, the bad lip reading of Game of Thrones? You know what? I, I have like years ago, but I haven't seen it recently. I'll post it okay. um, just because it's so funny. But if anybody out there hasn't seen it, watch bad lip reading on YouTube. Bad lip reading of Game of Thrones. It's it's great. Um, <laughs> Jamie walks up to John in that scene and he says something. What is it? Anybody who puts a slice of pizza on bread is a puka chim puka chim. <laughs> it's Aztec for lazy farmer. I looked it up on Wikipedia. I have, I have seen that now that you say that. <laughs> so classic. Oh, but when he's uh, when he's talking with with Tyrion back at that breakfast scene, um, he tells Tyrion, like you said. Give me a good clean death any day. Um, that that foreshadows Bran's murder or attempted murder later in the episode with the assassin. And when Tyrion hears about the assassin, that he puts that statement by Jamie in context and makes it it makes it seem like Jamie is potentially a suspect for sending the assassin because he 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 implies that he wants to you know that he he would prefer if Bran died. Right. And uh, same with Cersei in that scene. She also says it's not a mercy to keep him alive. So that could put Tyrion on or put Cersei on Tyrion's radar for potential suspects. Because um, there is a point where he he determines he ends up de- deciding that he believes it's Joffrey who sent the assassin. Yeah, but I, he, I he rules out scene, Cersei and Jaime first. I watched that scene a few different times looking at Tyrion because I, I've heard before that Tyrion makes note of of Cersei and um, Jamie's reaction and, and it's really, really yep. subtle, but you see, you see Tyrion, he's looking at both of them and he's yeah. like, why are you guys looking at each other like that? You cause know? yeah. Cause yeah, they're, they're giving each other back and forth looks and, and Cersei just does not look happy at all that when he says that Bran should, is probably going to live. And um, yeah, you can tell that Tyrion's suspicious, and he doesn't hide it either. He says at the end of the conversation, I'd be very interested to hear what he has to say when he wakes up. Yeah, but <laughs> oh, she didn't say that until Cersei left. Or he didn't say that until Cersei left. I Right, yeah, when he's having, his, he's having his bromant with the His with Jamie. bromant, oh my God. <laughs> I just made that up I on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of bromance uh, with Jamie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> he's the, uh, the big bro. Also, yeah, speaking of Bran's death, or his, not his death, his attempted assassination, Robert mentions sending a knife to Danny as a gift. Actually, that's the clip that I played during the intro, is their conversation about Danny and sending a knife as a gift to kill her, and John, and Ned is not having it, and then, you know, Robert says, there's a war coming, Ned. I don't know who will be fighting, I don't know when. But it's coming, you know, like winter. <laughs> yeah, right. And it is the war of winter. He doesn't even know it. So there, that's more foreshadowing of the of the uh, the long night and the great war. I wonder if that's when he hired Jorah to kill Daenerys. Oh, yeah. It's uh, shortly, definitely shortly after this. I think they confer further with the small council in episodes to come. Um, but yeah, the word is sent at that point for sure. And by the time Robert is incapacitated, uh, Ned is... He speaks to Varys, and it's too late to intervene. The birds have already flown, he says. Um, So, yeah, there's uh, Robert mentioning a knife, sending it to Danny, who's a child. Also foreshadows the knife being sent towards Bran later in the episode. And he mentions that, um, you know, if if Viserys rides, you know, crosses the narrow sea with the Dothraki army, and Ned said it'll never happen, and that foreshadows Danny riding across with her Dothraki army. Oh, yeah. One of the best then, moments of the whole series. 
Yeah, one of the yeah, so epic in so many ways. And then um, Danny's talking with her handmaidens, um, the new Khaleesi, with her little crew of cool ladies, and they're talking about the dragon eggs and it's one of known. them. It is known, yeah, the Lysini Pleasure House girl, uh, Jiqui or someone. One well, I can't remember her name. I think that is. What she mentions, yeah, she uh, she mentions that a, a, a trader told her that dragons hatched from the moon. There used to be two moons in the sky, and one grew too close to the sun, cracked from the heat, hatching dragons, um, which is a pretty cool concept. <laughs> but it also foreshadows the hatching of Danny's eggs as they are enter as they are put in the fire of drogo's pyre yes absolutely at the end of the season, which is cool foreshadowing as well and i'm sure there's a ton of stuff more but <laughs> we don't have to cover everything it'll be podcast will last forever so uh that'll cover my foreshadowing for now what's uh what's your number four Kristen? well actually it's really funny because it my number four was actually red flags and bad omens <laughs> oh great <laughs> oh so, um, it kind of goes with yours, so I won't spend too much time on it just because we've spent um, the last several minutes on foreshadowing, which kind of goes into that. But one of them, um, one of them was, you know, obviously Cat- Catelyn finding the long hair in the tower, someone trying to murder Bran after everybody leaves um, as one of those um, red flags, right? She she goes up to the tower and she finds the long hair. Well, there's literally one person that has one long blonde hair, right? I don't think that that is a mystery, really. It's just what is Catelyn going to do with that, right? Yeah, and what does it mean? Like, what context is that hair in? She doesn't have the context, so she finds the hair, and she's like, what happened here? Like, something happened, but I don't know what. <laughs> exactly. And kind you of must her have seen something. Right, and her decisions that she made after visiting that tower kind of, you know, affect the rest of the story. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> you know, she would have just stayed in Winterfell. Who knows what would have happened, right? I mean, Tyrion never would have been captured. Ned would not have been, you know, necessarily informed to the to the same way that he was about the assassination attempt and the Lannister connection. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. It just, you know, it would be a completely different story, and maybe it wouldn't, you know, it would definitely not be a good story. It would be boring. more boring at least one of one of the biggest red flags like what what made me even think of red flags was just everything that happened on the king's road everything i mean they're not even to king's landing yet and you know a dire wolf is dead another one is missing cersei and joffrey are showing their true identities robert doesn't want to confront any of it you know joffrey before they even leave is proving to be a total Dick, you know, and arguably Jeez. one of the best gifs ever in the history of Game of Thrones with Tyrion slapping um, Joffrey just over and over and over again. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world uh, to go back and watch. But, you know, with the running down of the butcher's boy um, with so Joffrey, you know, he shows what a complete dick he is and what a problem he's going to be by the way he, you know, treats Tyrion in the little dog pen, uh, running down the butcher's boy or having um, the hound run down the butcher's boy, begging Arya not to hurt him, slicing Micah's face for fun, lying to Cersei and then hit and then Robert about being beaten with clubs, smiling at the fate of Sansa's direwolf and Ugh, everybody's just disgusting. And that's just one episode, right? They're not even to King's Landing yet. And he's 
just proving that maybe, you know, we shouldn't be putting all of our eggs in the Baratheon basket here. Jesus. Um, yeah, the ending of this episode is arguably the hardest at episode for me to watch <laughs> the hardest moment for me to watch of this entire series absolutely with with lady <laughs> absolutely 100 percent. it's it's up there with the burning of shireen for me yeah it's even even worse <laughs> for me i think like i don't even i don't know that was pretty bad too <laughs> obviously they're both innocents right two innocent deaths. yeah i guess i had just been i like i had been expecting the burning of shireen for so long beforehand that I already had my armor built up for that. Whereas for this, the first time watching it, I had no idea that it was going to happen. You know, where it's only episode two of the show. You hadn't read the book. <laughs> the yet. cruelty of the depths. I had not. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I read them part. I, I read them um, after season four aired. Um, I started watching the show during season four and caught up at season eight to watch or at episode eight to watch that live, the mountain and the viper. So that was my first uh, live game of Thrones experience, oh, <laughs> which you know was what I remember amazing you that last week. So you watched the red wedding without knowing what the red wedding was. Yeah, totally. I managed to stay spoiler free. I had heard the red wedding mentioned just by name, but I didn't know what happened. Um, so yeah, that was a surprise too. It was <laughs> awesome. Bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, going into this having no idea of the depths of the cruelty of this show, um aside from <laughs> seeing Brand pushed from a window at the previous episode, I was like, "Man, every every episode ends with something horrible on this show. This is amazing." <laughs> this is amazing. I have to watch the next <laughs> yeah. one immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I did. Yeah, perfect. So yeah. Um, totally brutal. And then another like bad omen, I think, for John is um, on the way up to the wall, he sees um, that there's rapists coming with him. And so kind of the glass is shattering around what he perceives the men of the Night's Watch to be almost like yep. he didn't know. Oh, these are these are all criminals and thieves and rapists. And, you know, these yeah, it's are- his first dose of reality about the situation kind of yeah and he's still such a kid and he's so so immature in comparison to the Jon Snow that we know now right he's Mm -hmm. just a totally different character and it's it's interesting to see how how he deals with new information and and how he takes in uh, disappointment I mean this is this is one of his first disappointments away from his dad right I mean he's no longer under the the protection of Winterfell and the Stark name, and almost immediately he's getting handed a, a short deck. Right, and while we're talking about John, um, his character shines through from the start of the series, and he, you know, he visits Bran. He sincerely is, you know, mourning over Bran, and while he's sleeping, invites him up to the wall when he wakes up, and says they'll, you know, walk the top of the wall together and do all this stuff, and. He tries to minimize drama by lying to Rob and telling him that Catelyn was, quote, very kind to him, (laughs) even though she was a horrible wretch. (laughs) She she was kind in that she let me live. (laughs) Yeah, she didn't rip his throat out with her teeth uh, like like Summer did to the assassin. That was awesome. So awesome. And um, then, you know, he really cares. Like he's, you know, Ned tells him there's great honor in serving with the Night's Watch and he, when he's talking with Tyrion in the scene we're discussing now, and Tyrion's kind of like showing him, like, oh, look, rapers and thieves, you have new brothers. The great thing about the Night's Watch, you discard your old family and get a whole new one. And John looks over at, <laughs> at um, 
his uncle Benjen at that moment and turns to Tyrion and says, uh, you know, the Night's Watch protects the realm from, and Tyrion cuts him off from, right, from, from grumpkins and snarks. <laughs> so you can tell that, you know, his, John's heart is in the right place. He cares about protecting the realm. He, he thought it honor. would be an adventure and honor to serve in the Night's Watch. He's, he's a very honorable person. Um, and though his naivete uh, may disappear, or shrink lives. to some degree. Yeah, his honor lives on. In I think his he's character. probably the most honorable of all the Starks. I would, I would say, more so than Ned. Yes, because I don't think honor is going to necessarily get um, John killed. I think that he he takes his honor and and he steals himself. And I think he's prepared for whatever may come at this point. Ha <laughs> ha! You spoke too soon, Kristen. It already did get him killed. Ah, ha ha! But did it? <laughs> but did it? It did not, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did, but, he, you know, he came back. Hey, he got a so. second chances, okay? This is America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so awesome. He's He, he got lucky having a You're red witch nearby. You were waiting for me to fall into that, weren't you? <laughs> you just, like, say it. <laughs> Say it, Kristen. Say it. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't waiting for it, but when it when he said it, I realized it for sure. That's great. Um, but the last the last kind of bad omen or red flag I thought was um, with Viserys and Jorah. Um, that conversation that they had about kind of why Jorah was in trouble, why he came to Essos, why is he with the Targaryens, um, and you know it was about the fact that Jorah was selling to slavers, uh, poachers right. off of his land. And, you know, Ned, instead of executing him, exiled him or he ran off or I, you know, I, I still didn't yeah, get he a went clear story on what happened there. Um, Ned was trying to catch him to kill him, but Jorah basically but escaped, escaped and went into exile so, on his own will. <laughs> so Viserys is like, you know, well, under my reign, you won't be, you won't be in trouble for such nonsense, right? Um, like selling to slaves because he... He also just, he literally just sold off his sister to the Dothraki. Yeah. Oh, what a dick. You know, he just has no problem with it. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm here to get my crown, dude. You're about to get the, the best crown that you have ever deserved in your entire life. Oh, yeah. He's going to get the <laughs> crown he deserves. Absolutely. <laughs> when he hits the floor, it was satisfying. Oh, man. Yeah, I want to high five the Foley artists that created that sound because <laughs> they nailed it. I almost want, like, if I ever meet Jason Momoa, I want to high five him just for the fact that his character killed the series yeah <laughs> like you killed the series high five bro yeah <laughs> i've met jason momoa and now i'm regretting not doing that <laughs> met jason momoa yeah totally oh my gosh i uh yeah i worked with him at a convention briefly oh um, that's great <laughs> i saw him getting a massage at, in the uh Stop. in the Stop. hospitality <laughs> room <laughs> and he was scary even while he was relaxed <laughs> and i'm six one i'm like not a small guy yeah by any sense um but he makes me look tiny and makes me feel tiny there's a picture of him somewhere I'll, I'll try and find it and send it to you but it's him walking down a street with two bodyguards that look like his little lego toys <laughs> that's great yeah the bodyguards yeah he's their bodyguard exactly i'll post the uh i'll post a picture on the the group of me with jason momoa so you guys can see how much bigger than me he is i can't wait um, can't yeah it's wait pretty crazy that. <laughs> so anyways that um 
that whole that whole conversation with Viserys and Jorah. And, um, you know, Jorah, it looks like he's finally he's starting to realize, I think I may have backed the wrong horse, you know, and and he kind of starts moving toward Daenerys a little bit more. Right. Absolutely. Separates Ab- himself from the absolutely. crazy. Absolutely. He see, you know, he realizes that what he did is wrong. He's not proud of what he did. Um, and it's clear in the books um, when he describes, you know, that whole situation. At least, it's it's more, you know, more articulated. He was put in a difficult position trying to make his ex-wife happy, and it required too much money that he didn't have. Being, you know, Bear Island, the house Mormont is not necessarily a wealthy house on their sparse northern island. Um, so he had to do things to make money to satisfy his elegant southern wife that he was not happy with, and he's paying the price for it. Yeah. Um, That's all right. Yep. Liana's got it. Liana Mormont's got it. <laughs> yeah. Love Lady Liana. Hi. Triple L. Hi. Little Lady Liana. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, she's the best. <laughs> what else you got? That's it. Um, that's, I mean, we've basically talked about foreshadowing and bad omens for a while, so I think that we've, we've got it. All right. And yeah, that's awesome. There's so much of that in this episode. It's just, uh, it's just chock full of that good stuff that now in context is amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So my number four is the moment between Ned and John. Yay! (sighs) Their last moment together, which is just sad in so many ways, you know, Mm -hmm. he, John, it's sad that he doesn't have time to tell John about his mother at that moment. So John is riding off, not knowing about his mother and being turned down when he asks about his mother, which is sad in itself. It's sad knowing that John will not know. He'll never see his, his quote, father again to tell him. So in, in, in knowledge of that, it's really sad. It's just sad to see, you know, them parting for the last time. It's sad to see Ned make a promise he can't keep with his honor. Um, <laughs> there's so many sad things about this. But it's just a great moment as well. Um, you know, he's they're watching Benjen ride off with the men taking the black, the slavers, or the, or the rapists and the thieves heading north. And Ned tells John, even though he knows the truth of the situation, that there's great honor being in the Night's Watch. You know, Starks have served on the wall for thousands of years. And it's true. And, and Benjen is, you know, the latest example of that following in the Stark tradition um, that there's often a Stark on the wall, which is really, um, it's interesting and shows you the the character of the Stark family that even though it's been thousands of years since the Night's Watch or since the Long Night and the uh, the end of, like the, the, the dawn came and, <laughs> and the last hero and Azor Ahai and all these guys or all this one guy with all these different names had saved the day and built the wall and, created this safe environment that even now they're following through with their commitment to guarding the realms of men and and keeping their family involved with the the tradition of the night's watch which is it's pretty hardcore I yeah mean, absolutely you know that's a lot of sacrifice for a minimal perceived threat at this point in time and it's highlights the the level of honor and commitment um, of the stark family so it's pretty impressive and um, it, it means a lot to me. I, I, it's significant. So um, Ned goes on to say, you might not have my name, but you have my blood. And, and You had and to that, say it in like the Stark 
access too, right? <laughs> I had to. I, yeah, I can't resist often. And uh, that was interesting to me now that we know that, that he definitely does not have John or Ned's name. He has the Targaryen name, you know, so, so that stuck out to me. Um, but he does, in fact, have Ned's at least bloodline, not necessarily his specific blood, but his sister's blood. Ned Stark's Stark blood, blood runs through his veins. Yeah, and so we we don't really know up at this until this point what Ned's thought or what John's thoughts are about his mother. If he ever thinks about her, if it's something that's on his mind, but he blurts out at this point, you know, is my mother alive? Does does she know about me? Where I am? Where I'm going? After a pause, does she care? Ugh. Um, you have no idea how much your mom cared about you, dude. Yeah. None. Yeah, and ha- <laughs> and, the, and yeah, and the level of sacrifice that that, that everybody <laughs> has made just to protect you and to keep you safe, keep you the alive. The amount of caring is yeah to keep you alive. The amount of caring is through the roof. Yeah. Um, so Ned promises that <laughs> the next time we see each other, we'll talk about your mother. Hmm? So I have an interesting thought on that. Um, good, I do too. Oh, good. I wonder, okay, so you, it's, it's your point. No, no, you first, you uh, okay. first. So I wonder if John's going to find out about his parentage in the crypt in front of Ned's statue. Um, oh, man. Seeing as that is, might be like the next time he sees his father, just to kind of like oh, put it on full man. circle. <laughs> that would be, wow, if they think of that and do that, that needs to be done that is that's how it needs if to it happen. happens you heard it here folks <laughs> yeah you heard it here first <laughs> wow and especially um considering bran sees all you know bran will have seen hopefully john's last interaction with ned that you know the next time we see each other oh so i'll he tell you so he could crypt. see that and bring him down to the crypt to put it in that context oh my gosh I want to see it now. I want to see it right now. <laughs> yeah, as a wave of emotion hits me with that prospect. Uh-huh. Good job. Thank you. Amazing. What's your thought? Um, my thought was that Ned may specifically have been waiting to tell John who his mother was until he takes the black. Because when you take the black, you're forgiven of all past crimes. You can't be persecuted for anything you've done or are kings have taken the black the seven kings of the kingdoms when Aegon at least any that lived when Aegon um took command of the seven kingdoms those (laughs) those kings who bent their knees took the black so Ned's final way of ensuring John's protection from Robert may be to have him take the black to have him be forgiven for his crime of being a Targaryen under a Baratheon reign. It, it would officially put him out of the reach of Robert Baratheon. So Baratheon would not be able to kill him. So <laughs> Ned may have, have, yeah, may, yeah I, I just realized this right now. Um, Ned may have not discouraged John from taking the black because it would put him out of the reach of the king's justice. Um, and given, you know, what Robert says this week, I'll kill any Baratheon I see. 
any Brathian I get my hands on, as you guys heard in the uh, in the intro audio clip. <laughs> you can't get your hands on Daenerys, <laughs> Ned says, and with John taking the black, you can't get your hands on him either, boy. Does he know that the uh, that the um, maester of the Night's Watch is a Targaryen? Does anybody? I don't. I, it was so long ago when <laughs> when. Aemon took the black, and when you take the black, you you actually when you when you become a maester, you forfeit your family name. So maesters just have one name, Maester Lewin, right. which is would have been his first name. Maester Aemon, which is his first name. Yeah. Any maester, just their first name, they forsake their family names. So even when Aemon arrived at the Wall, he was no longer a Targaryen at that point. So even uh, it's questionable. You know, if people at the wall at that time knew if he was a Targaryen, it's been lost over the past 95 years, probably since he's been at the at the wall or less in, in show context. Sorry, maybe 70, 60 years since Eamon arrived at the wall. I guarantee that Robert Baratheon has no idea that there's a living Targaryen who is serving at the wall. He probably has no clue. Well, there's two. There was two. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, no, hey, you got me earlier, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Kristen. Payback. Um, <laughs> yeah, good call. Um, yeah, so he probably has no idea. So, yeah, this is a very interesting moment in a lot of ways. Now, seeing it in context, um, Ned is sending him off because if he told him about his mother now and about who he really is, I, you know, he, he could, just wasn't ready for that, though. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I think at this point, you just wanted John to finish taking the black and just have it done with to get him out of Robert's reach. Um, so yeah, significant moment in a lot of ways, and a lot of foreshadowing, a lot of sadness, a really powerful, amazing moment. That's my number four. What about you? That's such a good one. That is such a good one. Well, um, so Thanks. my number three... Um, kind of goes into what you were saying, um, just in the fact that it was just all about saying goodbye and leaving Winterfell. I mean, this is where the story officially splits off, right? Um, yeah. There's not going to be a Stark reunion until season six with Sansa wow, and John. Wow, think about that. This is the last time mm -hmm. that all these Starks like see each other. And what's interesting is that John, everybody that John says goodbye to in this episode, he has yet to see again. Because he did not say goodbye to Sansa in this episode. That we saw, at least. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's interesting to me that, you know, everybody, you know, goodbye Stark, uh, goodbye Snow, goodbye to you Stark or something. You know? Right. And he's the only person that we really follow around to see him saying goodbye to all these people. Right. Interestingly, so that shows you right off the bat that these showrunners are viewing him as the main character. He is a focal point, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, more so even than, than Ned, who we don't see say goodbye to anybody, really. Yeah, except Catelyn, but that was just yeah. mainly a marriage fight, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what happens uh, before long separations. Lots of fighting. Uh, um, yeah. So... So, yeah, I mean, it's to, to me, it was interesting, you know, John and Arya saying goodbye to each other. That seemed really poignant, um, you know, the presentation of Needle and and just seeing how close they were. I mean, it seems that he really had only had an, uh, a real relationship with Arya. I mean, he had like a brotherly relationship with Rob, I think, to a certain extent. But it, it looks to me that 
Theon and Rob were actually closer than maybe John and Rob. Um, hmm, interesting. I got the impression that John and Rob were really close, but I think they had um, the underlying tension, at least from John's side, that he couldn't be a Stark, and so he sort of right, yeah, held Rob in some degree of um, not contempt, but. Um, he held it against him to some extent, sadly. Um, and it, there's more clues to that in the books. If you guys are interested, I encourage you to read them. Which is interesting that maybe Theon and um, John weren't closer. Or maybe they were. I'm not sure, right? I mean, they were both, one was a prisoner and one was a bastard. You would assume that maybe they would have had some sort of a relationship, but you don't see any of that. Um, As two sort of black sheep. Right. Right. I mean, because their reunion when when Theon comes up uh, up shore uh, to Dragonstone after um, he jumped in the water. Yeah, they don't seem that, like they were close. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The only reason I'm not killing you. <laughs> I I think that was one of my favorite reunions last season was was that face off because I didn't know oh, what yeah. John was going to do. I loved all the reunions so much. Like I, it's hard for me to find fault with anything really on this show, um, except for a f- couple moments in season five, um, <laughs> relating to the sand snakes. Are you talking about Dorn? <laughs> yeah, weird. I think yeah, that's the only show's real major uh, misstep thus far, which is great. I mean, you know, otherwise they've got a perfect, perfect marks basically. Perfect- oh, but um. Yeah. Um, interestingly, to, now that I'm thinking of it, to mention how we didn't see John meet or say goodbye to Sansa, um, this was their opp- his opportunity, and he may have done it for all we know. But we, John and Sansa, never shared a moment on screen until season six when they were reunited. Right. So that's, that's just an interesting that. little tidbit. That's very, very that that uh, yeah. And and you know, it was so great because when they did do their reunion um, at Castle Black. It was so genuine. And I mean, I was crying um, like big crocodile, ugly tears going down my cheeks for <laughs> two people that had never shared the screen before. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, but, you know, these characters yeah, just that connection, so well you know, they have. Point, like, right. Like, yeah, John's and, just been raised from the dead and Sans has been raped and married off multiple times. Jesus. And, just, I'll probably cry when <laughs> when John and Arya meet up because uh, oh. they have a real special relationship. You can tell <laughs> that there's something special between those two. They have a special bond. He, you know, he thought to have a sword made for her. It means he knows her, who she really is, right. and respects it, and and uh, <laughs> and encourages her to be herself, which is something that is not necessarily common for <laughs> for a male to do in the to, for a female of that um, aptitude in the world of Westeros. Um, we have two significant examples of that, maybe three actually, because Lyanna Stark, as we find out later, was sort of a horse riding tomboy badass um so her i guess it's sort of a tradition in the stark family to encourage uh, strong female behavior well in the um, north probably the, i mean you look at Lyanna yeah i guess yeah in the north you're right the mormont house in general with warrior women mm-hmm. mage mormont and whatnot brienne of tarth uh from the south and for another awesome yeah so we have these few um examples of this and it's really good to see john encouraging Arya to be herself um, and I more again, I encourage you guys to read the books because you get There's so much insight more. into the thoughts of these characters, Absolutely. and it really becomes clear how much 
um, John and Arya love each other. They're always thinking about each other. <laughs> Arya um, wanting John to, to mess her hair up and call her little sister. And uh, well, she, initially, I mean, she cut bait, and she was she was going to go to King's Landing, and she heard that John was at Winterfell, and that he had taken it back. And I mean, and that was like that was like an opportunity for her to have family again. Like that's that's who she considers her family. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Do you think if she More, thought that just Sansa was at Winterfell and John was gone, do you think she would have continued on to King's Landing? I bet she would have continued on to King's Landing, killed Cersei, and then headed back to Winterfell. So John um, was the bait. With John was absolutely the trigger. Um, she could not resist <laughs> the opportunity to see John. Right. It was like uh, the moment she heard John mentioned, like her, like everything, everything changed. she thought she lost, flooded back into her mind absolutely. and changed her personality and mindset. And she needed more than anything to get back to John. So cool. Which is so cool. Um, yeah, and John often thinks of Arya. And interestingly, um, I, I think I've mentioned this before. When when um, George R. R. Martin had conceived of the show, his initial outline for his book that he sent to his publishers had described um, that John would end up marrying Arya. Yep. <laughs> and there's little hints throughout the uh, the first book that that may have still been the plan. Um, for instance, when <laughs> when John sees Ygritte naked, he thinks of Arya, <laughs> which is so hilarious. Skinny little twig girl. It reminds him of his little sister, and yeah, little things like that, which are <laughs> really funny. You're like, um, stop, buddy, just stop right now. <laughs> yeah. All it does is it just it, it just foreshadows to the fact that he would be totally down with doing his aunt. Okay, that's, that's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what that foreshadows in the show, right. and not not as love for his sister. No, uh, uh-uh. yeah, <laughs> and happily on the show, we we can look forward to a platonic reunion right with with uh john or and maybe Arya, some which, weird love triangle who knows oh man um to break you guys all of you listening um you're gonna hate me for this so brace yourselves emotionally for the prospect of this occurring but what happened you know we know that ned loved his sister liana as well they fought a war to to get her back and what happened <laughs> when Ned, after everything that he did to get back to Liana, finally gets back to Liana, she dies in his arms. Could this foreshadow Arya dying in John's arms no. upon being reunited <laughs> after some battle or something that, some traumatic event that leads to them being brought together? <laughs> oh. Could, could it happen? That breaks my heart a little. I know, I know. I've mentioned it before, and people are like, "Why? Why do you say Why that?" Why did you bum me out, man? <laughs> uh, and I think it's just George R. R. Martin enough to uh, potentially happen. Oh, so totally brace yourselves is. emotionally for that eventuality. And uh, I, I don't know anything about the future, so it's not technically a spoiler. But if it does happen, I'm sorry. Uh, that I brought it up. Yeah, it... <laughs> I, you know what? I braced myself all season for a dragon to die, and I still wasn't ready for it. So, you know, it is what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, just uh, two more goodbyes was Arya and Nymeria. Yeah. Um, oh, so 
heart-wrenching. Which... Another really hard moment for me to watch. Yeah, uh, you know, and I just wish that there was more Nymeria this past season. Um, I, I hope that we yeah. see her again. I hope that that wasn't just kind of like a service to the fans, like here's where Nymeria, Nymeria is. I hope that that she comes back at some point, maybe with Ghost. I don't know. I know that... <sighs> just that direwolf budget being murdered by the dragons totally worth it by the way <laughs> i mean i i oh, love yeah. the dire wolves, but all the dragon action last last season was just oh amazing <laughs> it's the best dragon stuff like that's ever been produced it's on this show like <laughs> absolutely just uh just drogon in the background right before randall and dick on tarly <laughs> that name <Dick> on. <laughs> i can't just can't get over it <laughs> Dick. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the Beavis and Butthead portion of your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but just him, just sitting there, you know, uh, with his with his wings outstretched. I mean, it just it's majestic. It's amazing. Oh you know? man, backlit. <laughs> oh, so good. And then uh, Catelyn yeah. finally decides she's going to leave Winterfell. Right. So, you know, everybody's leaving. They're leaving, you know, Rickon and Rob and Bran to, you know, to Winterfell, which we know Rob's going to leave. And then, you know, Bran and Rickon are going to have their own story after that. So, I mean, this is kind of the beginning of the end for Winterfell until, you know, Battle of the Bastards. Yeah, and a really cool moment there with Catelyn, too. She had said, you know, like, she can't leave Bran's side. She needs him. Like, he he needs her uh, in, earlier in the episode when talking with Rob. And and um, at this point, you know, after snapping back into it, we get a huge character development with her in, the, in this. <laughs> and she uh, she says, you know, I've prayed to the Seven for Bran for a month. He's in their hands now. And uh, his life is in the hands of the seven now. And I was just like, wow, like that is intense, man. <laughs> you know, I, Catelyn, <laughs> she makes, she, you know, I love her. And then I just want to slap her. <laughs> you and a lot of other people. Right. I mean, everything, yeah. every, for every three good things that she does, she does this one terrible thing or, or asinine thing. And, and she just takes like five steps back for a character. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, there's no shortage of Catelyn hate on the internet. Hey, Let me I, put it that way. I love her. I do. I really do. I love, like, every test I ever take, you know, those stupid online tests, I always come up Catelyn Stark. So clearly, you know, oh. me, and, me and Lady Catelyn have got a, a kinship going on. But Okay, internet, send your hate mail to Kristen. Yes, do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> if, you need to, if you need to shove it somewhere, there you go. <laughs> no, please don't actually. <laughs> so, and then, you know, the weird, the weird conversation between John and Jamie, which we've already touched on a little bit. Um, you know, I, that, that conversation is going to haunt me a little bit, I think, cause I watched it a couple different times thinking that, you know, there was something there and it probably wasn't anything. I have just, I, after watching that scene, I thought maybe Jamie knew the truth about John and he was glad that John was going to go take the black. Um, wow, that's interesting. I mean, it is entirely possible that, you know, somehow somebody out. knows. Yeah, that's, yeah, I was wondering that too. Now that you started talking about this interaction, I was like, like, why is he, 
seeking out the bastard of Winterfell and having this very bizarre interaction really with him where he's bizarre. intimidating him. It's like he knows, like he, he has experience with Targaryens and yeah, it's, it's interesting that he would target Jon for this type of intimidation. And he There's no reason for that. it unless he knows. You know, really. Jamie's pretty smart when he's not around Cersei. He's, you know, he's very observant. He's, he's a smart fool. Yeah, yeah he's absolutely. a smart fool. That's a good way to put it. He is a smart, smart fool. But also, is Jamie Kingsguard at this point? He he is yes. Okay, so he was Kingsguard for Ares, um, Kingsguard for Robert, and was only dismissed um, by Joffrey and and or Tommen or one somebody <laughs> with Cersei. <laughs> okay, because he's mocking a life sentence for the Night's Watch to John, but he has a life sentence himself that is not unlike a Night's <laughs> Watchman. He's like, hey, 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 you're going celibate. I still got my sister. Oh, gross. <laughs> yeah that's the only reason why it's King, king's guard right yeah basically so it could be around cersei so yep. you know i just after watching that scene there was just there's just like this tiny part of me that thinks well maybe jamie knows the truth about john and and, and it's interesting because yeah, he's also protecting john if he does right yeah by uh by not exposing him or not you know, um, raising suspicion if he doesn't know, but suspects because he saw, he knows what happened when Ned, you know, came back from the tower of joy with a baby. Right. Absolutely. Um, he had to have heard that. <laughs> and he knew what was going on with Rhaegar for the most part. And the, the, the King in general, Liana. and the other thing that we know from the, um, from the bathhouse scene with Brienne. This is great, great. So good for bringing this up, Kristen. Um, you're the best. Um, we know that he was sworn to keep the king's secrets. When he uh, when he tells Brienne, he blurts out about killing the king because he was going to burn the city to the ground. Burn them all. Right. Haunts him. Um, the Brienne says, you know, why didn't you tell the truth? And he, he basically responds that he's also sworn to keep the king's secrets. And that um, his honor, for some reason, compelled him to do that, to, I guess, to keep that part of his oath because he could. He just could not um, let the king burn the city to the ground. I guess he was unable physically to keep that oath. He had to stop it. Whereas, even as much as he wants to tell the truth about Ares and what happened, he physically is able to restrain himself from doing so. So he manages to keep that oath. Um, which is another sign of honor as as Jamie perceives it, you know, his own type of honor. But my point with all this is that Jamie knows the king's secrets, which means he may know the prince's secrets. Absolutely. Which means he may know that Rhaegar eloped with Lyanna. With Lyanna, which means he may know that john is a targaryen (laughs) which means this puts this whole sequence in a brand new light that i'm only putting into context right now because of you Kristen. thank you so much for illuminating this scene hey i had i had the same thought i mean for the very first time this week re-watching the episode and i re-watched that scene several times because i something like spidey sense i just sat there i'm like something's up with this why is he seeking him out yeah, and I was thinking the same thing too. Like, it's really weird that he's targeting John here with this intimidation. Like, there's no reason for it. Um, and I guess now we have the reason. I think it's, uh, I think it's 
safe to assume that Jamie is likely uh, likely suspects that John is in fact a Targaryen. Oh, that'd be so cool. I think if that it's comes I think out. it's likely. I really think it's likely now that we're discussing this. Um and I've never really heard it mentioned before too, so hopefully the word spreads from here and uh and people will suspect it. <laughs> people will come back to this particular podcast and be like so much was called or they'll be like what idiots. Either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Speculative fools. <laughs> Seeing clues in all the wrong places. These people have way too much time on their hands. (laughs) Should have pushed them from the tower when we had the chance. (laughs) What was your number three? Um, My number three is the Bran assassination attempt. And we're in the room. John go, or Rob is in there talking with Catelyn, and she is super shell-shocked, like like on the the Walking Dead cast. When (laughs) they play those clips, and she is all messed up you know yeah yeah. (laughs) that one guy guy (laughs) from night of the living dead or something uh yeah they're dead they're they're all all messed messed up up. (laughs) (laughs) i can't listen to that without laughing every time the cat is all messed up you know she's shell-shocked to the extreme can't focus on the duties of the lordship you know she can't even think about the appointments that need to be made in the absence of people that left with um with ned to head south jory and all his 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 top-notch like big dog crew that he's bringing with him to to serve with him being hand um think about that that really shakes up winterfell you know there's a lot of changes that are going to be administrative changes that are going to need to be made and she's just not having it maester lewin is calmly <laughs> trying to approach her about this and and rob is like rob steps up and he's like listen i'll make the appointments we'll talk about it first thing in the morning lewin's like thank you and he dismisses him then he needs to talk with his mom he tries to encourage her to you know st- come out of her her funk that she's in ptsd <laughs> like to the extreme here yeah to the point of neglecting her other not toddler, but very young child who needs a mother. Um, so it's it's a it's powerful moment and in just in a lot of ways. And you can really see how stressed Catelyn is. She can't deal with it. She hears the the wolves howling, and it's just driving her crazy. Well, you shut the wolves up! Mm-hmm. Like close the windows! Like like driving me insane. And Rob goes to close the windows and sees that oh they're howling because there's a fire in the library. And I'm thinking, fuck, library fire. Like nothing pisses me off more than a library fire. More than books burning. Yeah, I, oh man, I am like ferociously mad about the the library of Alexandria being burned to the ground. Uh, I think that our society and our world is suffering to this day from the knowledge that was lost in that single singular event. Absolutely. Um, Knowledge from the ages, Atlantean knowledge, potentially, um, that I can't even <laughs> express my sorrow over that. So <laughs> the not, like, people, was that destroyed as well? Most of it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so so we, we're back in the uh, in the room and the library is on fire and Rob rushes off to deal with that. And um, in walks the assassin <laughs> and. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, watching this for the first time, I was so surprised by this. And he's just so ominous. And the, the way he articulates what he's doing, he's not, he's not a smart guy. You know, he's there on a, on a job. He's somebody that won't have the, uh, the intelligence to 
say something bad enough to relay anything that will harm the person who hired him. He says, it's a mercy. You know, you weren't supposed to be here. No one was supposed to be here. He's like, he I just lit something Bran. on fire. What are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. Like, he, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't leave the room to take care of her six-year-old. She's not going to leave for a library fire. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and she pulls out the dagger, and I'm like, what the fuck? This is so twisted. Yeah. And, and Catelyn just rushes, no hesitation, hands on the blade. And I'm thinking, damn, like, she is hardcore. That is one of the most she, hardcore things ever. Wait, yeah, I mean, super, super hardcore. And she sees that, 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 you know, that, that blade. She knows it's Valyrian steel by the way the, the torchlight glints off it and shimmers off the ripples. She's not an idiot. You know, she, <laughs> she's seen ice for years. It, it's, it's, only, it, it's, it's only a possible plot hole and, and probably one of the smallest plot holes in, in the entire story. But she saw that dagger. She knows Littlefinger better than anybody else knows Littlefinger, and she didn't recognize the blade. But then again, she hasn't seen Littlefinger until, you know, from the moment that he was cut by Brandon Stark um, when in dueling over her a favor. The last time that she had seen Peter Baelish was when he was carried off, cut from collarbone to navel, um, and she didn't see him again until she was brought to him in King's Landing. So she may not have known that he had that dagger. Right. He definitely did not, did not have it at that point in time. It was probably acquired once he uh, came into power, we can say. So, so that does not surprise me. She would not have necessarily known it was his dagger. A month had passed, so I guess it was enough time for Littlefinger to have learned that Bran fell. Littlefinger would not have known that Bran was pushed by Jaime or that it had any connection with that. But since he was already sowing seeds of discontent between the Lannisters and the Starks, he decided to send an assassin and with a, a blade that could be uh, tied back to Tyrion to further um, put them at odds. So, damn, he's smart, man. <laughs> little finger. Yeah. Glad and, he's dead. And, uh, <laughs> I'm glad he's dead, too, from a story perspective. But also, I'm really sad from a story perspective because I would have loved to see what he would have contributed in the end game. Oh, we're going to see him. Further. He'll be in season eight. You know that, right? Arya's going to use his face. Oh, I guarantee man. it. Yeah, I freaking hope so. It would be a major missed opportunity if she does not. She cut his throat. She didn't touch his face. So, yeah, we, we can... I can pretty much, yeah, agree with you. We're going to see Peter Baelish season eight. So, yeah. Yay. <laughs> Aiden Gillen, <laughs> we'll see you again, brother. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so, so Catelyn eventually is thrown to the ground here and, and hopeless watching as the assassin with the Valyrian steel blade moves towards her incapacitated seven-year-old or however old Bran is at this time. And just at the last moment, unnamed direwolf summer um at this point he's unnamed oh. lunges in you can hear his footsteps approaching <laughs> like like a horse or something scampering through the the stone halls and he lunges in and rips this fucking guy's throat out and sprays blood everywhere so awesome this is an epic moment of direwolf vengeance and you know that these wolves are connected to their their humans he was just outside Howling because of the the fire, and he sensed Bran in trouble. You know, or was it Bran know. in summer? 
or it could have been brand in summer for all we for all we know yeah it's not clear uh, that would be very interesting and uh just to i'm going to add a little detail here from the from the books that it's not a spoiler but it'll enhance this moment and make you guys want to read more because i'm really during this break i want you guys to read the books please, you have please read you them. have like <laughs> like 13 14 15 16 months go read the books man this is what i did between season four and five and I was not upset <laughs> by it, <laughs> by it. I, I, you know, the show is ahead of the books at this point, so you're not going to be spoiled. You're going to get to experience a whole new storylines, which will blow your mind. But this moment is great in the books. The direwolf rips the guy's throat out and it sprays blood all over Catelyn's face, and and so we don't see that in the show. There's no blood on her face, um, but it kind of zooms in on her face and her reaction to this scene. And she she looks relieved and happy to have the direwolf there and protecting her son. And she, there's a moment where she sort of smiles, and it's the first smile we've seen her had the whole series yet. Um, but in the books, it's a whole other level of of uh, of mania. You could say she not only smiles, she starts laughing uncontrollably at this moment and looks like a maniac in in the mind's eye when reading it with the blood sprayed all over her face holding her 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 shredded hands up just gushing blood and she's just cackling like a like a demon or something like so read it read the books because you get lots of cool stuff i totally forgot about that till right now yeah i remember right? that how epic is that and, yep absolutely catlin man she's an interesting character don't, really, really interesting. Don't character. hate on Catelyn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's about you? That's that. That pretty much it. That's it for my number uh, three. Just covering that really cool account. So my next two, my next two are actually like they're they're small, but I save them for my top two because they're kind of my favorite points about the whole episode. Um, awesome. Me, and of course, use the rustling of papers. Okay. So this is one when you when when you told me about, you know, covering this episode with you, I was so excited. I was so excited for this one scene of Cersei and Catelyn. Um, you know, Cersei comes in and and all of a sudden she is I mean, if you see her, she's wrapped up. Right. Um, which Cersei. To me, Cersei. Yes. She, she's wrapped up in her um, in her shawl. Right. So yep. it, to me, she's already concealing something, right? Uh, the way that she's carrying herself, the way that she's in there, her misdirection with trying to tell Catelyn how very sorry she is about Bran and, and how she prays to the mother and blah, blah, blah. And Catelyn's Great just job. eating it yeah. up, right? She's totally diverting but, Catelyn here. But she's telling this story about this black-haired boy, right? Yes. And so... He, he had a fever. He was born. He was taken away, never to be seen again. She hates Robert. She's always hated Robert. She hated his whoring. She hated the fact that he was fat and he wasn't Jamie. She hated the hated fact. Hated the fact that their wedding night, he said Liana in bed with right, her. Right, right. So she's had his baby, right? Yeah. I am of the thought that this baby never died that she had the baby sent away to be raised by in a whorehouse, wherever she didn't care, go away. And I think that that baby is Gendry. That would be very interesting. I, I would not be surprised. I think that would be a really cool twist, it would but make I'm him, not leaning towards it. Well, it would make because, him a rightful heir. 
Yeah, that would be yeah, that would, would be really interesting. It would kick Cersei <laughs> off the throne, right? Yep. But at this point, so 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 I started looking for holes in it, right? Like what 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 are the reasons that that we're saying no to this, right? Right. Now, an unknown lord paid for his uh, apprentice uh, his apprentice fee to be a blacksmith, right? Who I I think we can all pretty much agree that that was John Aaron, right? John Aaron had taken an interest in him. Um, Interesting. And and trying to track down all twenty of uh, Robert Baratheon's children, right? Um, and so the Baratheon stag is still the main theme uh, on the main theme logo. So the Baratheon house still matters. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's because John is going to legitimize him. But go ahead. Oh, oh, oh I, I know that. I've, I've, I've heard you um, say that, which he could. It would be interesting if he didn't need to legitimize him. Right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. what, what's interesting is that Cersei's prophecy, right, is is what we all kind of hang our hat on with when, when it comes to Cersei's story, her story arc and her end game and, and what's going to happen. We're in the last of her prophecy anyways. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Which is why I totally don't believe that she's pregnant. She's a lying teenage high school girl trying to keep her boyfriend right now. <laughs> but um, and try to manipulate him to do what she wants. Right, lying teenage, which is like the important part of keeping <laughs> him. I think. Uh, yeah, I think that like she wants to keep him, but she also like wants to keep him in line. Oh uh, well, um, that's that's you know. Cersei right there in a sentence. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the prophecy says that that Cersei will have three golden-haired children that will, and gold will also be their shrouds, right? So mm-hmm. she's had her three kids, and her three golden-haired kids have died, right? Robert will have 20 kids. Well, sir, that, so this, could, this is one of Robert's kids. It didn't, it, there's nowhere that says that Cersei is not going to have a black-haired child. So to me, it's possible that this black-haired child still lives on, and that it's Gendry. Because there, I mean, if if Cersei tells Robert he's dead, right, and she sends sends him off, then he doesn't know that she that he exists anymore, and she doesn't have to worry about him anymore because nobody's going to tell him that he is, you know, the rightful child of Cersei and Robert, um, and he never really knew anything until what he was headed for the nights the nights watch, but. Anyways, it would be interesting because I've also heard the theories about how, you know, there there could be a love triangle between John and Danny and somebody else. And there was a big article about it being Tyrion or whatever. But what if it's Gendry, right? What if it's like the whole two bastards that are really rightful um, huh. people, wow. right? Because um, yeah. this whole show is always about misdirection. It's always about a twist or, or what we see really is, is not what what is in the story. Right. So I don't know. It's just, it's a thought that I've had for quite a while. And I feel like this scene is the scene that kind of alludes to Gendry being legitimate. That would be really cool. Um, yeah, very interesting. I, uh, hadn't really considered that much before. So (laughs) you're, you're giving me all these thoughts. I love it. Um, but you were about to disagree with me. What were you going to say? I was, um, in this in this scene, Cersei basically says that the Maesters or somebody took his body away. I never saw it again. Never went to the crypt. Um, but the way she described it, the impression that I got was that she was in a room with Robert and the dead baby, the body of the baby. Maesters took 
the, the body, Robert held her back as she was kind of freaking out um, enraged himself doing the things that men do to let you know they care. I got the impression that, that Robert was there and had seen the body. Um, so, I mean, it's up for interpretation. And the other thing about the prophecy is that, what is it? The Maggie, the frog, the woods witch says, the king will have 20 children or however many, you will have three. So that implies that like, if, if this story is true, which it seems to be, there's no reason for her to make it up. Mm -hmm. um, unless to garner false sympathy. It contradicts the prophecy, in my opinion, because um, Maggie says, you will have three children, and who knows? That would be crazy if, if Gendry was legitimate. <laughs> it would be fun. That'd be, yeah, it'd be really fun. Would and be, Bran would know. Yes. Well, as long as you tell him exactly where to look in history. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, John shows up with, with Gendry to Winterfell, and John's like, you're Aegon Targaryen. You're Gendry Baratheon. Right. <laughs> Legitimate. That'd be cool. That'd be awesome. um, is that it for your yeah, number two? Yeah, that was my two? number two. Very little. All right. My number two is <laughs> Arya throwing lion's tooth in the river and besting Prince Joffrey, the little bitch. I hate him. Um, I, I love Arya mm -hmm. so much in this scene. Um, you know, John told her to... Uh, something really cool john tells her you know you have to work at it every day when after he gives her needle um which i feel like we glossed over a little bit um but it's a really significant moment um he tells her you got to work at it every day and she does you know she is committed to mastering the art of the sword and she's out there practicing with the butcher's boy on day one on the king's road <laughs> or whatever day it is we don't know the exact timeline but uh she's doing it and you know, um, Sansa gets the shit scared out of her by Ilan Payne, <laughs> the the king's justice, with his who has had his tongue ripped out, and then she turns around and the hound scares her, and Joffrey whisks her away like such a glorious prince, and they go to stroll the meadows and and explore the countryside, and Joffrey's getting her drunk, and all, and Arya's fighting, and Joffrey has to be a little bitch and try to show off for his lady and thinks that it's cool to, you know, cut the butcher boy's, butcher's uh, boy's face with his sword lion's tooth. Um, who, who uh, <laughs> Renly laughs at the name at one point, I think. Um, <laughs> hilariously. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty funny name, too. Like, I kind of like it. Lion's tooth. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, so Arya hits him on the back with her stick when he's cutting Micah. And and two wolf attacks in one episode, man. Nymeria comes in out of nowhere to save Arya after Joffrey's swinging his sword at her full tilt. Um, Jesus, like Arya could have been cut in half this episode so easily. Yeah, like but you, she's look quick. at that. She's yeah, she's quick. She told John, "I can be quick." <laughs> yeah, I can be quick. Great little line. And uh, Nymeria comes in rips the blade from Joffrey's hand and Arya is the one holding the blade to Joffrey's throat at that moment. And we see Joffrey's true character come out whining no, like a little boy. No, no, please don't, don't kill me. Oh, if only she'd run him through then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so much trauma would have been saved, but she would have been in big, big trouble. I almost, I almost think it would have been worth it. <laughs> yeah, probably. I hate him. 
Yeah, it's just so awesome. She's got the drop on him now, and she takes the sword and throws it in the river. <laughs> and Robert full, like just rubs it in further. You let this little girl disarm you. Such a great moment. <laughs> great line. And Joffrey's like, eh. <laughs> you know, she's he's constantly trying clubs. to. Yeah, it is true. Shut up. <laughs> you know, he's such a little bitch, such man. It's great. It's awesome. Um, so that's my number two. My number two is that whole scene there and the <laughs> the dispatching of lions to to the annals of history. Oh <laughs> uh, gosh. What's your number one? Um my number one. My number one has to do with uh one of the very first scenes of the episode and the talk of ghost grass. Um Oh yeah, awesome. So ghost grass, so you know, I think that the entire world south of the wall has the same story, just it's different in whatever culture they're in. So for the Dothraki, ghost grass is taller than a human on horseback with stalks as pale as milk glass. It is an invasive plant that overwhelms other grass. So Dothraki believes that ghost grass glows with the spirits of the damned and will one day cover the entire world. I got this off of... um, so ghost grass also comes up in season two with Zaro hearing of magic coming back into the world in the form of ghost grass growing outside the Shadowlands and a Dothraki Kalasar led by a woman and her dragons, which I think could actually be foreshadowing to when Daenerys finally crosses the narrow sea with everyone. Um, awesome. So I think that for the Dothraki... Their end of the world prophecy has to do with ghost grass, which it, you know, it glows, it's white as milk. I think that that is their interpretation of a white walker. So they're all, they're all preparing for this long night for this great and it glows war. with the souls right, of the dead. Exactly. That's the white walkers reanimating these dead people. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and having these dead souls, like, enhancing the power of the White Walkers, they're emanating with the, the power of the dead. Right. Um, so it's, like, metaphor for that. Wow, great job. So, you know, it's like... <laughs> you got to guest host again, Kristen. Oh, I, I so want to. <laughs> I'm totally down. This has been super fun. But um, Awesome. So the Dothraki, they've never crossed the sea before. Well, they've done that, right? And Daenerys, I mean, dragons have been gone for years. Oh. Here they are, right? Um, yeah. You know, you've got all of these things that are happening as the ghost grass or the white walkers or the army of the dead or whatever is slowly making their way down. And they're slowly making their way down because they're decimating everything in their path. There is nothing behind them except... Oh, God. Right? Just like the ghost grass. Right, exactly. Um, so I just think that it's so interesting in season one, episode two, we are dropped this huge nugget of information that most of us glossed over because we're like, blah, 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 Dothraki, who cares? Right. At this and point. yeah, blah, blah, blah. Wow. That guy's tall. Yeah. Oh, is that Jason? Mo- is that Jason Momoa? Okay. You know, <laughs> like that, yeah, yeah. that's the extent of what's going on in season two. Um, you know, Danny is still really, really weak. You know, she can't even ride a horse. She, she's got cuts everywhere. She can't figure out how to please her husband. I mean, there's so much that's happening, but we're all forgetting the overarching theme of this entire show. And that is what is coming, right? Yeah, and it's brilliant. So anyways, that's my number one. Wow, great. That was awesome. Uh, yeah, I had never uh, 
made that parallel before either. <laughs> so cool. Um, okay, my number Ew. one. Get ready to have your mind blown. Excited. Um, yeah, it's uh, the death of Lady and the waking of Bran. Yay! Because yeah. as as we find out with Miri Mazdur and and Daenerys, say it if you think of it before I do. Only death can pay for life. That's right. Right. So, so I was watching this and thinking about it as I was putting together my top five and everything. And I write for my number one, Lady Dies, Bran Wakes. And it hits me. Only death can pay for life. Right. And it just made this huge connection um, that has been such a recurring theme throughout this whole series. You know, uh, oh, tell me you have <laughs> the a list. Death. You have a list, right? I don't. <laughs> I'm just thinking of it right now. Uh, you know, the death of Drogo and and everything. Well, first of all, Miri says only death can pay for life, and that's there, she's implying that Drogo's horse will pay for his death or his life. But then it turns uh, into Danny's baby, the horse Drogo, and um, Miri Mazdur, and possibly the potential sacrifice of Danny's own life, paying for the life of the dragons. A great trade off. Um, really cool trade-off. Um, sucks we lost Drogo because he was yeah. badass, mega badass. But we have that. We have um, uh, what else? Can you think of any other examples? <laughs> I know I'm trying to think right now. Um, we can. We have Jockin, who killed himself to pay for Arya's life, also at the House of Black and White. And right after he says to her, "Only death can pay for life," and it looks like he's going to poison her make her drink the poison, but instead he drinks it himself and completely blows her mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With that, um, we have the death of the dragon Viserion, potentially paying for the life of a newborn child between Danny and John. You have Tywin dying and Tyrion living, but Tywin is, or Tyrion was the one that killed Tywin. Right. So yeah, he 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 uh, paid for his own life with T Tyrion's by killing uh, with his Tyrion's dad, but he also there. killed Shay too. I guess Tyrion's life is just he's small, but his life is his life force is so huge it took two. Barristan, Barristan Selmy died, and Grey Worm ended up living. Right. Oh man, and yeah, there's oh, there's so many examples where this has kind of happened in this show, but I it just like hit me that only death can pay for life, and Summer died for Bran. Summer died. For Bran as well. We've had two direwolves die for Bran. And even Bran sort of died for Bran. <laughs> you know, like yes. Bran died <laughs> to birth the Three-Eyed Raven, basically, as Mira said in that, in that line. Um, you know, Bran, you died in that cave. We had Hodor. Hodor died, died for Mira. For Mira and Bran. Um, Children of the Forest, yeah. they all died for Bran and Mira. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, Benjamin! Like, Benjamin died for John. For John, right at the end there, he gave his own life to let John ride off on the horse. Um, yeah, this is. <laughs> it just like hit me all of a sudden. I was super excited to. Uh, yeah, but that's that's my number one. Oh, I love um, it. The death of Lady, the birth or the rebirth, the living of the you know the revitalization of Bran, and the concept of how only death can pay for life. How about uh, notes? You got any more notes to cover? Um, gosh, I, I don't think so. I think uh, we've pretty much. Let me just see if there is. I mean, there's, 
we've we've really really covered it. I do would like yeah. I, I would like to know, and I didn't have the time to look, but I might look this week. Um, is that did you notice that the theme music seems really slow in the first season, and that it seems that it's at a quicker tempo in this past huh. season? I never noticed that. That's uh, interesting. I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah, that was just one thing that I was wondering. I just never had the time to actually watch both of them together, but it'd be interesting to know. Good catch. Yeah, we'll have to uh, examine that and uh, get back to that next week or something. Yeah. Um, let's see. I thought it was interesting. I recently learned that Tyrion, the actor, Peter Dinklage, is a vegetarian. And so every piece of meat he eats on on set is like tofu, Gross. essentially. <laughs> you know what? And, it, um, is, and it, it should be noted that it is nice to see Tyrion light. He's very light. He's a, a light oh, yeah. to the show, you know, and he's not, yeah. he doesn't have any of that anymore. He's very dark. Sadly. Yep. He's very jovial. Um, he, yeah, he doesn't let his dwarfhood uh, drag him down. That's for sure. He makes the most of every moment. <laughs> um, but he, he walks in for that meeting when he breakfast. He wakes up hungover in a in a, like a, a stable pen or I something. Love it. <laughs> so great. He walks in and he's gonna hang out with Jamie and Cersei and the kids to eat breakfast. And he says, "Bacon burnt black." And, and two I was thinking fish. that. Yeah, and uh, and Dinklage, the actor, must have been thinking, "Oh, that's disgusting," as he as he's delivering that line, you know. I love so Peter that was Dinklage. cool. Me too. Um, oh, there was a moment with uh, with with Jamie, which I forgot to include in my foreshadowing, where he's it's where he's talking with John, right? And uh, we discussed the significance of that interaction in its entirety, which is really cool, and we don't want to forget about that. But there's also sort of a prophetic line in there where he's talking about the Night's Watch with John and he says, you know, I hope you're, uh, I hope you're happy with the Night's Watch, you know, whatever. If not, it's only for life. <laughs> right? Right. And <laughs> that foreshadows that it is it only is for, for, life. for life. You know, John dies. Uh, and then after his death, he leaves the Night's Watch. So, so he, he, he doesn't end up being stuck with the Night's Watch, but it is for life. It's for, for his first life, at least. And his watch, has, his watch had ended. Yeah, it's, it, you know, he was unbound by the terms. Uh, so I thought that was a cool little line foreshadowing him actually being able to leave the Night's Watch after his death and resurrection. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. I noticed uh, Arya, or Nymeria, is not doing what she's told by Arya. Very Arya. Arya yeah, very Arya, exactly. <laughs> so so Arya, all these wolves are just like their uh, their dudes, you know, their people. Right. Um. <laughs> well, and you know what? Um, you know what else is just staying with like the dog theme, going to the hound, is that you can right. see that Standor has such a soft spot for children. You know, uh, he didn't have to to try and calm down. Um, Sansa, or try and make her feel better. That wasn't his job. Right. But he at least has a soft spot for Sansa, for sure. Because that butcher's boy, man. Yeah, but also he also a child. has a soft spot for Arya. <laughs> oh, really? I don't remember. I think he had a soft spot for Arya. He protected her. He trained oh, her. Oh, right. Derp. Derp, derp, derp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he totally had a soft spot for Arya. Um, yeah, he, he seems to uh, have a latent... Respect for the Starks. I think he envies the Starks or something. Well, and then there's 
the little girl that he buried last season, you know? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just that damn butcher's boy. He, he had to, he had to harden himself to that situation because of his, his occupation. But remember Ned, Ned confronts him about it. And mm. the, the, the butcher's boy, <laughs> he you ran, ran him down. Not he ran. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not fast. fast. <laughs> <Just> so, <laughs> so rude. <laughs> yeah. So brutal. Um, so yeah, that that's great. Yeah, the hound too. Um, I love the hound, man. I know you do. Yeah, I got my hound helm sitting right there. This is probably my favorite picture of you. Oh, in the in the helm. <laughs> hound helm. Hound. Winter's helm, come. Cunt. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, another interesting thing. Um, when Robert and Ned are talking, and Robert's like, "This is real country." I've got half a mind to ride, leave it all behind, and never come back. The wind at our sides, a couple tavern wenches to keep our beds warm tonight. You know, Ned gives him a look, and he says, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, and, like, gives him a look, like, ha, ha, if you only knew, you know. <laughs> and that, that says, 20 years ago, we did not do that. There were no tavern wenches during the war 20 years ago. I did not sleep with anybody else during that time period 20 Certainly years ago. Certainly not gives somebody him, named Wyla. Yeah, Wyla, who he mentions in a few minutes, but he gives him this look that says, I've been living with this stigma of fathering a bastard and betraying the honor of my, of my marriage for 20 years. If, if I had known what was going to happen, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, I would have done it. Yeah. Because you know? I'm living with this stigma anyway. Might as well. You know? <laughs> and I never noticed that look that he gives him. It's like the, they, like Dave and Dan explained the situation to, to, to um, Sean Bean that he's not actually Ned's father, that he didn't, didn't sleep with anybody else. And the look that, that <laughs> Ned gives Robert here is just incredible like go back and watch it because it's it's so telling i never picked up on it before and it just like it's the most significant piece of acting i think this episode is just chock full of it yeah so many good moments um you know other things worth mentioning um next time i see you you'll be all in black it always was my color. It was always my color. Yeah. <laughs> it was always my color. There's that. And um, why do you read so much to Tyrion? Oh, the and, West. And uh, he goes oh. on ex- explanation. My brother had a sword and I have my mind. And a mind needs books like a sword needs a whetstone. I wrote that down. Which is a great line. Yeah. Um, Everything is better with some wine in the belly. Yep. And the, yeah. And even though, you know, their relationship uh, between John and Tyrion is off to a rocky start. You know, Tyrion is being anti- antagonistic towards John, you know, give, calling him a bastard and whatnot, and, you know, kind of rubbing it in that he's going up to join these fucking losers at the Night's Watch, <laughs> like, dumbass, you're stupid enough dumbass, you stupid bastard, to believe this your whole life, and, right. like, everybody else knows the truth, snarks and grumpkins, moron, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but then at the end, you know, he, he gives him his wine and, and offers him the drink and reaches out, like, creates a bridge between the two of them, um, so it, sh- and it gives him a look and it's, it shows that he does, you know, f- see the honor in John cause John responds back with, you know, the night's watch is, it's, you know, like I said earlier, it's, it's, it guards the realms from snarks and grumpkins. I know a bastard, you know, <laughs> um, 
but he does see the honor and respect it and gives him the wine, which symbolizes that and sort of gives him a knowing look like, I like you after, after that, before the scene cuts. So that was cool to see um, as well. That whole, we didn't even talk about the whole, like Danny getting sex lessons, you know, that whole thing. I know, we... I know. And you know, uh, it, it, I guess it's just what Danny, Danny's becoming a woman. She's starting to realize her power, right? Right. Yeah. She sees the dragon eggs. Oh, that's another. I called it the domestication thing. of Drogo. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she totally like you know puts him in his place there, and uh, he, he looks a little awkward at first, you know. But after a few seconds, he totally starts to get it. He gets it, you know, and, right. and rolls with He's it. He's like, "Oh wait, awesome. I think I like this better." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's so cool. Um, but there's an, another significant moment where you know it starts off as a rape scene basically, where she's like crying out in, in, in unhappiness as he's taking her from behind, like the, um, like the, like, like they, like Jiqui or whichever handmaiden said, like, uh, the Dothraki takes slaves like a hound takes a bitch. Are you a, a slave, you know, to Daenerys? No, she's not. So that's happening at this point. And she's like crying out, like she looks very unhappy, but then she looks up and sees the dragon eggs and, and starts smiling and, and, and it looks like she's enjoying it at that point. But to me, this is interesting because we've already heard in this episode the metaphor for the eggs hatching or the foreshadowing of that. I feel like like um, Danny being inseminated at this, in, at this moment is like the eggs being fertilized. Oh, interesting. Her, her dragon eggs being fertilized at this moment. Totally. Um, it's like his, Drogo's life force is passing through her into those eggs. Um, metaphorically at this point um, and it's illustrated by what we see on screen which I picked up for the first time so I thought that was really cool um, yeah and I loved like I was getting nervous for Danny there when when she's resisting Drogo who's trying to mount her yeah and she says no and he's like you know gets a little bit forceful with her and no and turns and he looks like he's about to like <laughs> you know just do it anyway right. and force it but she says to him, tonight I would look upon your face. And it sort of hits him, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and I just thought that was a really powerful statement. Um, which, I don't know, I thought that was really cool. Perfect words, tonight I would look upon your face. Absolutely. And um, I loved seeing Ilan Payne this episode as well. I miss that actor. Um, he left the show after a couple seasons when he was diagnosed with um, some type of cancer. Oh. No. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm under the impression that he has made a recovery. Oh, good. Um, good. So I hope that's true. Um, He'll come back to be killed by Arya. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully we get to see him come back and have his head cut off. Um, Yay. Maybe by, you know, Oathkeeper. So it's <laughs> Ned's sword, who, who he used to behead Ned, right. eventually coming back to kill Owen Payne. Either that, or he's supposed to be a really good swordsman, so he could be good. Um, he could do a lot of good, theoretically, in the wars to come. Mm. Okay. Then Arya kills him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, and Lady's death could also be paying for um, Nymeria's life, so that could be important. Nymeria may play a role um, to, to, to come in the future. I would really like to see Nymeria and Ghost, like, side by side. In, yeah. In the, you know, I mean, it'd be nice to get some dire oh, wolves that'd be going so on cool, for man. season eight. 
Ghost and Nymeria together just commanding a pack of like a hundred wolves. Yes. Like, oh, just yes. raging, Please. raging against White Walkers or Whites and maybe even Lannister with, army with men. Armor, with armor mail of dragon glass so that they could just go through and just fuck some oh, shit up, right? Oh, man. <laughs> they could make, oh, you know how like these steeds, like armored steeds yes. you, you see in like medieval um, stuff yes. where sort, like the horses actually wear armor. They can make armor for the dire wolves. Yes. Like how fucking cool would that be, That would be, be amazing. That <laughs> the would coolest be. shit ever. <laughs> I, would, I would shit myself literally <laughs> much as Tywin did, but I, you know, I probably would try not to die. At least um, he had a hole to do it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that pretty much covers my notes. Yeah, I mean, I've I think that the only thing that I hadn't talked about was I was a couple points with uh, domesticating Drogo and Sandor and how he really is human. Joffrey is just the worst. Just the worst. The worst. Oh, everything the worst. about and him. <laughs> he and Cersei uh, in different ways. Like, like uh, the wolf is gone. You know, no, there's no sign of the dire wolf. My, you know, your grace. Well, that's that then. Um, there, they have another wolf. They have you know? another wolf. Like, just to let you I was know. Like, oh Cersei. my God. Cersei, murderous I would, bitch. I, total. Yeah, she is the the freaking you know hound's favorite word. Yes. I'll see you next. <laughs> see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> uh, apparently, yeah. Apparently, some people still don't haven't heard that. So yeah, see you next Tuesday. Yes. For anybody who's unaware. All right, let's take a little break and we'll uh, come back for more. Stay with us. Hype Beast. HBO announces Game of Thrones miniseries Conquest and Rebellion. The final season of Game of Thrones may be a year or even two away, but HBO has something to whet fans' appetites in the meantime. A brand new animated series, Conquest and Rebellion, will offer fans an in-depth look at Westeros and the history of the Seven Kingdoms leading up to the events of the show's very first season. Kicking off with the history of House Targaryen and in Valeria's last, Valeria's last Scion, the series features looks at all of the houses of note and is even narrated by stars like Nikolai Castor Waldo, Sophie Turner, Aidan Gillen, Conleth Hill, and Pilel Asbake. And should also mention Harry Lloyd, who narrated the first installment, which uh, has been released already. Is that who played per- the series? It is. I, th- I saw parts of that and I was like, that's the series' voice. Okay. Nice. Yeah, he does the uh, the Duncan Egg novellas, too, in A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, um, which you can download on Audible. And for anybody listening, this you guys are going to love this. You can sign up for a free month of audible.com. If you want to start reading the books, you can download a book for free. Pick any book you want. It could be Game of Thrones. It could be anything. Um, then you can cancel your Audible membership if you want. Um, you don't even have to follow through, but you can keep your free book. And if you also, like, I recently discovered thanks to Lisa Moreno, who sent me a free book, that as long as you haven't received a book from a friend before, you can send a free book to your friends. So anybody listening to this that wants a free book from Audible, send us a message to um, 
to uh, our email, which I'll give out in a little bit. Um, I think it's game at, at podcastica.com. And, um, and I'll send you a free audiobook. <laughs> That's awesome. Just, just send us your email. Free audiobook, free of, car, free of cost. No, you know, I'm happy to do it. I have all the Game of Thrones audiobooks. I've got all the ancillary um, novellas, The Prince and the Queen, The Princess and the Queen, sorry, The Rogue Prince, the Duncan Egg novellas. Um, I've got, you know, you name it, Ice and Fire related, I have it. So, you know, send me your email and I'll send you a free book. And it's, uh, it's amazing. That's a good deal. So, Perfect for brushing up on your Westerosian lore, Conquest and Rebellion will be available exclusively to those who pre-order the seventh season of Game of Thrones on Blu-ray and DVD. The sets, along with the exclusive animated bonus disc, are out December 12th. Nice. And what is it? It's going to be like 100 minutes total or something like that. Um, it's 80 minutes, something like that. But uh, yeah, they're just releasing little installments. The first one's already out. Um, we've posted it on the Game of Microphones page. If you search for Conquest and Rebellion, I'm sure you can find it. And it's really cool. I, I definitely enjoyed watching it big time. Awesome. I yeah, yeah. I want to I do. I want to um, I want to watch those. It's always one of those things where it's like I just I need to sit down and just watch it, you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, our next item is an article by Innovation and Technology Today. Just how big can the Game of Thrones universe become? Game of Thrones is one of the most successful TV series of all time, and each episode is watched by an average of 25.1 million viewers. That's huge, especially yeah. for a paid network. Jeez, unprecedented. That number is steadily rising as the fantasy epic heads towards its endgame, and that is in part due to the success of the franchise branching out onto other platforms and attracting greater numbers of fans. In fact, fans of the world and its characters don't just have to watch the series. They can also play numerous games based on the universe and, of course, read the original Song of Ice and Fire books that sparked this massive craze. The question is, just how big can the franchise become? Game of Thrones, a Telltale Games series, really awesome game. I highly recommend it if you haven't played it. Oh, cool. It was released. And have you played it, Kristen? No, I just started playing the Walking Dead one. Oh, oh you're going to love it. Um, Melly Hutch, she's, she's amazing in it. <laughs> Um, and yeah, the Game of Thrones one is great too. And it's got guest cameos from, um, Peter Dinklage and, and Kit Harrington, and a uh, really great story just all around. I, 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 I love it. Love, love, love awesome. it. Um, Try it. yep. Um, so the Telltale game series was released in December of 2014, Game of Thrones, and the events in the game took place just after the Red Wedding episode of game of thrones third season it actually takes place during the red wedding in the uh as the stark forces are being slaughtered outside the twins it's pretty oh intense gosh. you are among the stark forces um and witnessing the carnage around you trying to escape and fight and whatnot it's pretty awesome oh my gosh um, yeah. So instead of giving players a chance to play as popular characters they know and love, like Jon Snow and Tyrion, the story-focused game um, developers opted for a different angle. The game was still set in the world of the TV series, and events from the show were happening at the same time as those in the game, but there's a completely original storyline which is centered on characters from the House Forester from the North, hmm. people who had never been mentioned or even appeared in the show, but they're uh, responsible just to add for the cultivation of ironwood, which is um, used, it's, a really, it's, a, it's like a really dense wood that's pretty much as strong as iron, hence its name, but it's used in the north for construction, and it's probably the reason that Winterfell is able to have flat rooftops on its towers, even um, 
with like the no. the weight of all the heavy snow and whatnot. And so there's an in-world explanation for that, which would be a major architectural flaw otherwise, uh, which I've heard people criticize the castle for. <laughs> um, shout out to Shadiversary. Shadiversity on YouTube. It's a guy who guy named Shad from Australia who analyzes all this cool stuff, swords and castles, and he covers some Game of Thrones things. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, they, this story for the Game of Thrones game is an interesting concept, opening up a whole new level of possibilities, which uh, lead to various storylines. The problem with the game is that to have the slightest clue about what was going on, the players had to have watched the series. It threw players straight into the action as the phrase betrayed the Starks at the Twins, and someone who had never watched the show would not have known why they were doing the things they were doing. The Telltale game was a good way for pre-existing fans to enjoy George R. R. Martin's world in another way, but it wasn't a great option for bringing in new fans and increasing the show's viewing figures. Um, the, uh, there have been other games that have served to introduce new viewers to Game of Thrones. One of his most successful games is the Game of Thrones slot game from Microgaming, which is now one of the most popular 32 red online slots, I guess online casino gaming. The, uh, the title features all the main great houses of Westeros, including Lannister, Stark, Baratheon, and Targaryen. And the side game allows players to travel around various locations on, a, on the flip of a Bravosi coin. <laughs> <laughs> it also boasts the outstanding music from the show to really draw players in. Players don't need any knowledge of the series to enjoy and jump straight into this, but they can learn things from the game which may make them want to watch the show. Yay. The online gambling, yeah, the online gambling market is absolutely booming and is projected to rise to $59 billion by 2020. My goodness. That is insane. And I, I'm not a gambler, just to say, so I'm not condoning gambling by reading this. It's just an interesting little uh, tidbit. For this reason, franchises have found that they can boost their overall revenue by offering content for, the thriving, for this thriving sector of the economy. The Game of Thrones slot 32 Red is not the only example of this. Other slots that have helped boost their respective franchises include Tomb Raider at Casino Kings and Hitman at Britain's Got Talent Games. Um, despite the Telltale series and the Game of Thrones slot offering players other ways of enjoying the universe during the show's offseason, gamers are, are hungry for more. Something that has been touted for many years now is a fully open world title that allows players to really explore the landscape of Westeros and Essos while taking control of central characters like Daenerys Targaryen and Jon Snow. Gamers are clearly envisioning something on the same scale as titles like The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt, and Fallout 4. Recent reports suggest they may be soon to be about to have their wit wish granted. Elder Scrolls developers Bethesda have been rumored to be in the process of creating a Game of Thrones title, but nothing has been officially confirmed yet. With HBO's Game of Thrones gaining more viewers and becoming increasingly popular each year, it would be wise to assume that there will be additional games based on the much-loved fantasy in the future. And with spin-off series also in the pipeline, this universe has the potential to continue to expand infinitely. Um, and I heard that Target had released, they updated one section of their website that showed a Bethesda Game of Thrones game, but the a spokesman for Target came out and said that that was um, false, so I wouldn't put your hopes too much for that, but that would be amazing. Skyrim was such a good game. Do you ever play Skyrim? No, I'm a very, I, 
I I get my hands on a on a little controller and my character dies within like ten seconds. <laughs> so I don't play games, but I'm really good at watching. So. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, you'd be fine at the Game of Thrones game because it's a different style game. That um, doesn't require the type of three dimensional controller capability that um, games like this would. Um, which is you'll find out from the, playing the Walking Dead game as well. It's same style as that essentially. Um, but yeah, the the what's it, the uh, the game Skyrim is it's basically as close to Game of Thrones as you can get in video games right now. Um, it's awesome. So the creators of that, if they did a Game of Thrones game, it would just be off the charts, fantastic. I I, I, I would play. Really it. want that to happen. I would play. Yeah, That's something it's worth I would shot. play. I'd put it on easy, and I would play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely worth the shot. Um, our next article is from ComicBook.com. Game of Thrones taking a page from The Walking Dead for final season. This is exciting. With o- nice. With uh, with only one season remaining in Game of Thrones, the HBO series will learn from AMC's The Walking Dead when it comes to preventing spoilers. In Game of Thrones' penultimate season, the drama in Westeros often leaked online ahead of any uh, episodes airing due to hacks or spies on set, revealing the show's secrets. Just as a side note, I managed to stay entirely spoiler-free, except for one thing which I sort of uh, deduced based on an, a general attitude, but not a specific spoiler. Um, so while the, sh- while the former won't be combated with HBO's new method, um, spies on set or hacks, or hacks at least, um, the, uh, the, the method, or the, the, spied are going, the spies are going to have a much more difficult time ruining the viewing experience for fans eager to learn who ends up on the Iron Throne. According to HBO's president of original programming, Casey Bloys, Game of Thrones will film extra scenes and alternate endings to throw these folks off the scent of the true, the one true ending. Awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Quote, I know in Game of Thrones that the ending, they're, they're going to shoot multiple versions so that nobody really knows what happens, Bloys said. You have to do that on a long show because when you're shooting something, people know. They're going to shoot multiple versions so that there's no real definitive answer until the end. This method was previously implemented by The Walking Dead when AMC series when the AMC series was attempting to preserve the spoiler ending of Negan's victims. The show's sixth season ended in a cliffhanger with a baseball bat crashing down on the camera, which was actually a character's skull. Ugh. Yeah, brutal and amazing. In an effort to throw <laughs> onset spies off of the victim's true identity, the cast and crew filmed death scenes for each of the 11 characters who were possible victims on um, The Walking Dead. HBO, however, may see little benefit despite the extra effort. Most of the Game of Thrones spoilers which surfaced online in this show's seventh season were the result of photos, scripts, or entire episodes being released online by hackers ahead of their airing. Game of Thrones is expected to return for its eighth and final season in 2019. The Walking Dead returns on October 22nd. 33 days away. And, <laughs> thank you, Kristen. <laughs> and a lot of our listeners are probably looking forward to the Walking Dead cast as well. All out war. Is, what? Yeah. <laughs> our other podcastica podcast covering the uh, the Walking Dead series. Woo-hoo. If you guys have heard this show, um, the Game of Microphones, but are not familiar with the Walking Dead cast, you should check it out. That's Jason's baby, Jason and Karen. That's where all this stems from. My very first podcast I ever listened to. Yeah, one of my first as well. Um, Yeah, and I I was a listener. I'm only here because I was a listener of 
of uh, the Walking Dead cast. And same with you. Same with me. So that's so cool. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for news. Next, we have Raven's Calls. Damn, Melissa is good at that that raven sound. You want to go first? Sure. Uh, All right, go for it. Sarah Larkham says, There are many intriguing moments in this episode. Bran waking up when Lady is killed by Ned. Jon Snow giving Arya a needle. Cersei's confession to Catelyn about her and Robert's child. Ned saying to Jon Snow, When I see you next, I will tell you about your mother. Yeah, so many cool moments, uh, happy moments, sad moments, <laughs> moments that we know iconic <laughs> will be the last time. Yeah, super iconic moments. We kind of glossed over John giving Arya Needle the sword, but that was really cool. <laughs> I, I loved that, their little relationship there. And <laughs> she goes to hug him and he's like, be careful. <laughs> the thing's fucking sharp. <laughs> and uh, she puts it down and jumps up and hangs around his neck and gives him a big hug. Just a really cool moment. Um, all right, Angel- Angelica Garcia Decker says, Ugh, Joffrey is the embodiment of the modern definition of cuck. All his blustering and shit take- shit-talking, and as soon as Arya holds that sword up, he's crying, Please don't hurt me. <laughs> Big baby, boo. <laughs> also, in the, in the book, as I recall, the part where Cersei and King Robert and Ned all have the kids around and everyone is arguing. Joffrey says, she threw lion's tooth in the river. And Renly scoffs at the name of the sword. Endlessly amusing. <laughs> I agree. That's that's where it is from the book. That's where, where Renly is laughing at the name of the sword. <laughs> Thanks, Angelica. I love it. Uh, Laura yeah. Sotelo uh, says, Tyrion slapping Joffrey. That'll never get old. Laura, I 100% agree. Uh, Oh, gosh, the best. One of the best. Um, Did Cersei still have some humanity left in her, or was that my imagination? Jamie's convo with Jon about the first time you cut a man. Oh, man. All the feels with Jon saying his goodbyes to Arya and Bran. Freaking Catelyn. She was never a favorite. Oh, Ned, don't make promises you can't keep. Robert and Ned's conversation about Daenerys and the Dothraki. Holy foreshadowing. Tyrion was such an ass. Okay, seriously, did anyone else notice Arya's murderous look when Joffrey's little punk ass was on the ground? Everyone has come such a long way. It is known. It is known. And yeah, Arya did look like she wanted to just gut Joffrey right on the spot there. Too bad she never got the chance, right? (laughs) Oh, I know. Too bad for Arya. Yeah, that would have been fun to see. Pick on somebody your own size, Joffrey, (laughs) and they'll be coming back for you. Um, May Almardini says... What did the five finger? Oh, I gotta say, <laughs> what did the five fingers say to the face? Slap! Damn. <laughs> Tyrion teaching Joffrey a lesson is priceless. Even seven years later, <laughs> the smiley face. Catelyn is mean. The frown face. <laughs> I wonder how she would have felt if she knew the truth. I feel her hate towards him was not justified. And I love the uh, the Dave Chappelle Rick James reference there. I'm Rick James, bitch. Rick James. What do the five fingers bitch. say to the face? Slap. <laughs> <laughs> Unity. <laughs> we always say that. Uh, we always say, I'm Rick Grimes, bitch. <laughs> yeah, that, I, 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 I may have started that actually from the, uh, that music video we did with Kill Em Off when I did the, uh, the Rick Grimes rap in the middle of it. And at the end, I sort of just ad-libbed, I'm Rick Grimes, bitch. <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I love it. That was funny. Slapping is my uh, favorite. 
Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so now we have a couple comments from the rewatch from our Patreon group where people uh, rewatched the series a couple months ago. And LOL, right off the bat, our first comment <laughs> is Kristen Hell. So you play you, Kristen, and I'll play Rima Jo okay. for her response. This will be fun. I wonder <laughs> if Cersei was really sincere about Bran and Kat. She seemed genuine despite her part in Bran's fall. And Rima Jo says, I think she was genuine about her loss of her first son, and that made her seem genuine about Bran. Kristen Howe responds, why don't you just back <laughs> up a little bit and hear us talk about it for 20 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I tend to, uh, to agree. <laughs> and uh, I liked how you mentioned, Kristen, her outfit. Now she was covered up, and that was symbolic of the fact that she was engaging in a cover-up. Yeah, absolutely. This is really cool. Uh, Ashley Renfro. Hi, Ashley. Says, uh, hey, Ashley. I never liked Kat. I think because I always loved John so much. I'm not digging his facial hair, but I loved him and Arya's scenes together. Think about how epic their reunion could be. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Can't wait. Big, big time epic. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to that. I hope that it happens and uh, hope Arya doesn't die <laughs> as it's happening. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> if you're right on that one, I'm just going to have to like come and just slap you in the face. Yeah. Not the, not the face, the ear. Ah, got it. Okay. <laughs> oh, right in the ear. <laughs> you hit me in my garden. ear. Yeah. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. <laughs> that was... oh, I love Fight Club. All right. Yep. Laura Willie Swink. Laura! Woohoo! She says, The King's Road, or the time your asshole friend made you leave your comatose son's bedside to go party with him on the other side of the country. (laughs) 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 Thanks, Robert. Yeah, fuck Bran. Let's go whore ourselves through the Riverlands. Couple of tavern wenches to warm our beds tonight, Ned. (laughs) He was was a dick. Yeah, yeah, he's so funny, though. I love that actor, Mark Addy. He was so good um, in A Knight's Tale. Oh, I've never seen that. I need to watch that. Duncan, promise me you're going to watch it this uh, week. Yeah, the only reason I never watched it was because I didn't like Heath Ledger beforehand <gasps> and, until I saw um, him as the Joker, in which my, at which point my opinion shifted 180 degrees on Heath Ledger. And I freaking love that guy now. Didn't um, you see so yeah, the been... 10 things I hate about you? Come on, man. Yeah, but I, I had a different personality <laughs> at that point. Um, he's, I, if, I, if I watch it now, I, which I have seen bits and pieces of it since then, I think he's awesome in it. Yeah. Uh, the singing scene, you know, in the stadium, hilarious. Uh, but yeah, I, I've been meaning to go back and watch Night's Tale. And for anybody else that wants to watch more Mark Addy, there's a TV show from BBC America or one of those networks um, called Atlantis, where um, where Mark Addy plays Hercules. Oh, fun! So, so he's yeah, not so, fat and drunk and. No, he totally is. Oh, perfect! Oh, <laughs> man, Hercules, the legends of Hercules have been blown a little out of proportion. Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. So yeah, it got canceled after the first season, unfortunately. But I really liked it because um, I love that all that type of stuff. So is it on BBC? Like it streams, or is it streaming on Netflix? Or I'm not sure. It was a couple of years ago, and I haven't um, seen it pop any- anywhere since pop up anywhere since. But yeah, look, look into it because if you can find it, it's cool. All right. Um, we have an email 
You go ahead with this, Kristen. Oh, right. Uh, this and I'll is read from my response. Yusuf in Dubai. Hi, Duncan and Jason. First of all, I just want to say that you guys are doing a great job. Easily my most favorite Game of Thrones podcast among the hundreds of thousands out there. That's so nice. I agree. That's nice, too, because there's some really good ones out there. So that means a lot. Thanks. Secondly, I agree that this is so much fun doing a review in hindsight and future episodes in hand. Just a few comments. I do not agree with Duncan mentioning that R plus L would have been illegal, statutory anyway. Marriage in Game of Thrones is pretty much like the old times. Once a woman gets her first period, she becomes eligible for marriage like Sansa. This would have been between 12 to 14. So 16 would have been good, would have been considered fine, if not a bit old already, especially if already betrothed. There would have been a good two years that Lyanna was delaying her marriage and probably because of Rhaegar. Also, Littlefinger did what he what he did to sow discontent between the Crown Lannisters and the Starks. He wanted the crown for himself, so the best way was to make the closest allies implode and blame it on the Lannisters. That would make three houses head for a collision course, along with the other houses who would have been bannermen for any of these three. He almost succeeded, too, especially as he got his army in the end. He just got too overconfident on his manipulating abilities, not counting he was with a seer who can see through the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> also, he also wanted Ned gone so that he could make his move on Catelyn. Bastard. That's it. Sorry it got long. Regards, Yusuf from Dubai. Duncan, you want to play yourself? Uh, yeah, I'll play myself. Before I do, you got any comments on that? Um, you know what? I I agree with what he's saying. Um, he did get Definitely. overconfident, and he I think that he just didn't think that Sansa was smart. You know? Yeah, I think a lot he, of people underestimate Sansa. King's Landing is full of good liars, Sansa, and you're not one of them. Oh. Right? He, he did not know, learn that she uh, ended up being able to lie, I guess, quite well. Um, yeah. Lord Yusuf, <laughs> a pleasure to hear from you, my friend. Cool to see we have people listening all around the world. Um, it's so cool. We got people in Australia, people in Dubai, Scotland, um, you name it. There's people everywhere. It's just such a cool, the internet is just the coolest thing ever. Um, I completely agree with what you said, Yusuf, with everything you said. When I mentioned Liana's age, I guess I poorly articulated my thoughts on that subject. Uh, Meryl and marriage at Meryl marriage slash betrothal does seem to be common in the G Game of Thrones universe at a very young age like with Tommen and Marjorie for example um, what I was really really trying to express was how Rickard may have considered her elopement and abduction because she was too young to decide for herself not because she was too young to decide for herself but because she was already betrothed to Robert so with Lyanna not having the authority in the house to determine um, who to whom she's married and Rhaegar having interfered with the betrothal it may have been interpreted as an abduction by the authority of House Stark um, who was you know should have been making those decisions himself so it could have been considered a kidnapping um, just in terms of the you know the details of the arrangement and who has the authority to make what marriage arrangements um, I think your insight on Littlefinger's motivations is also spot-on Interesting that he probably did want Ned gone, too, so he could make his move on Catelyn. Total sleazeball. <laughs> yeah, so great hearing from you, uh, my friend, and hopefully we'll hear back from you sometime soon. Thanks so much for listening and taking the time to contribute your thoughts, everybody. 
Thanks, everybody. All right, that's the end of our show, episode 44. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to contact us, you can give us a call at 813-563-3739. That's 813-JOFFREY. If you'd like to email, you can write in to ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. Next week, we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 3, Lord Snow on Game of Microphones. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts um, to our email and every place listed above. And we'll also post an official thread this weekend on the Game of Microphones page where you can send your um, feedback as well. All right, everybody, that's our show. Uh, Thanks for listening. You ran him down. He ran not fast. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Oh, that was so fun.